0: Ownership was just such an important thing for Nipsey, such an important thing for Burner. And, you know, in interviewing the two of them, I would say their mindset around ownership was the closest I've ever seen to Jay-Z.
1: Hey, welcome to the Trapital podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcie. This podcast is your place to gain insights from the executives in music, media, entertainment, and more who are taking hip-hop culture to the next level. This episode is a celebration to hip-hop's 50th anniversary. This is a countdown on the 50 greatest moguls ever in hip-hop. I'm joined by Zach O'Malley Greenberg, friend of the pod, and we both reached out to a bunch of label heads, executives, people in hip hop that would know best, and we put it together in an aggregate list and we're here to break down that list today. We talk about what does it mean to be a mogul, what are some of the considerations we made when we were looking into this list ourselves, how the results looked, what surprised us, what were the snubs, what were the misses, and what can we learn from this overall? And if Zach and I were putting together our dream teams, what would that look like? This is a lot of fun, really happy with how it turned out, so let's dive in. This episode of the Trapital Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Dice, where fans can experience more of the shows they love. Buying concert tickets can be exhausting. It's easy to miss your favorite artist when they're in town, and fans have to watch for hidden fees and resellers who drive up ticket prices, all while hoping one of their friends can attend. You deserve better as a fan. On Dice, you can find quality live shows tailored to you. Dice will tell you what's happening in your area and offer a personalized selection of shows. Artists love to partner with Dice because they provide complete and fair experience with fans through their waiting list technology that locks tickets to smartphones. Plus, Dice's robust analytics helps artists better understand their audience. Venues and promoters love Dice because their data-driven tools, customer service, and direct connection to fans across the world make it the place to buy and sell tickets. Want to learn more? Check out Dice at Dice.fm. That's D-I-C-E dot F-M. All right, hip-hop's 50th anniversary is right around the corner, and we decided to celebrate it in the only way that we know best— Countdown, Hip Hop's Greatest Moguls, and I'm joined by Zach O'Bally Greenberg, who reached out to me about this. I was really excited about it, and we've spent some time over the past couple weeks reaching out to people we know, making sure that we had the best insights, looking through, and making sure that we had all of the breakdowns to share. So, Zach, I'm ready for this. How are you feeling?
0: I am stoked. Yeah. I mean, you know, 50th anniversary of hip hop, we reached out to 50 different judges, Amongst you know these sort of the most respected folks from you know label heads to artists to entrepreneurs you know I think we got half of them roughly half of them replied sent in their votes we're going to keep their individual votes anonymous but you know Dan could tell you about some of the judges yeah and it was just really fun to kind of mix it up you know I think the thing about this list a lot of these. Characters are kind of an apples to oranges comparison, as you'll see once we dive into it, but that's the beauty of it, right? I mean, how do you, you know, compare like a pioneering executive to like a modern day artist mogul? And we really kind of left it in the hands of the judges. And we just said, basically, the only guidance was, this is a business focused list, but you know, you can rank artists, executives, people who are both. It's just whatever your definition of mogul is, that's how, you know, that's how you should rank them. And, and people submitted lists and obviously the the higher they rank somebody, the more points we gave them and, you know, uh, the lower they got, but, you know, so there's some people on there who are like accumulators. They ended up on everybody's list, but not so high, but, you know, as a result, they ended up on the top 50. And then there are some who are just like not ranked at all by most people, but had a couple of really high ranks so that they made the list. So I think it's a pretty cool mix.
1: Right. It's kind of like how we look at artists. There's some artists that have just been consistent, steady through and through each year. You'll always get some reliable output from them. But then there are other artists, too. They were the best for a certain amount of time. Maybe they cooled off for a bit. Maybe they came back. And that's kind of the way music is, too. One of the things that... I was asked whenever I was reaching out to people about this, was the same thing that you posed earlier. People wanted to know, how are we defining mogul? And we left it up to their interpretation. It is a term that means different things to different people. But maybe for the sake of this conversation, let's kick it off here. Zach, how do you define mogul? And how did you define it when creating your list?
0: Yeah, I mean, to me, a hip hop mogul more general is just, you know, somebody who not only is a business person but has some degree of ownership in whatever it is that they're doing and that's not the only definition of it for me but like you know when i was putting together my rankings i thought you know who are the owners At the same time you know people who are executives who are in a decision-making place you know that counts for something and i think also you know if you're an artist and you simply have some control over your own work you maintain your copyrights so whatever like that counts as being a mogul so you know specifically when it comes to hip-hop You know, I'd say uh, people who are, you know, definitely getting in in charge of your own work, but also creating new lines of business, you know, influencing the culture, but, you know, in a way that they've got some skin in the game from a business perspective, you know, that kind of thing. That's kind of how I looked at it. But you could see from the votes that, you know, everybody had a different definition, too.
1: Yeah, there was definitely a lot of correlation with the artists who tend to be the ones that are the wealthiest. They end up at the highest rankings in on some of those lists too but it wasn't exactly correlated because there's a difference and these are some of the things i kept in mind too with the mogul definition thinking specifically about influence and impact were you having or did you create opportunities for others around you were you able to be a bit of a kingmaker or queen maker in your respective right was there a impact in terms of other generations that either looked and modeled how they're doing, what they're doing, and looking at you as some form of inspiration with that. So there's the indirect impact and influence, but also the indirect piece of it too. So there's the money piece as well, but then what do you do with that money? And then that's how I had went about it. And similarly, everyone had their own unique spin to it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I think the definition changed over time of what a mogul really is. And, but when I was putting my rankings together, I think the idea of starting something new, you know, that's
1: also paramount amongst all the criteria as well. Right. So of course, Zach and I had our list, but we reached out to a number of people and several other label heads, executives, and people that are in the game. So thank you all to your contributions. We couldn't have done this without you. And if anything, it helped add a variety beyond just you and I getting and putting our list out there. It added a more full scope and like anything, oh, this is how you look at it. Interesting. And being able to pull unique insights there. Yeah,
0: for sure. You know, One one thing I think we probably ought to point out, On the list, you know, the list is heavily male, but it's about only 20% women on the list. You know, we did everything we could, obviously, to make it more equitable. But, you know, the votes are the votes. And, you know, I think there is a bit of a reflection of sort of the state of affairs over the past half century. You know, unfortunately, like many parts of music business, hip hop has been... You know, heavily over indexing for males. So, you know, here's hoping that when we come back in 50 years to do 100 years of hip hop, you know, we'll have evened things out a bit or completely, let's say, maybe even, you know, made up for lost time. But I think some of the spots on the list, you know, the rankings do
1: kind of reflect a, an industry reality that we've seen, unfortunately, for 50 years. Right. And hopefully this gets better. We do feel, and you'll see when we talk about some of the people here, glad about some of the names that got mentioned. Of course, there's always room to be able to have more. And hopefully for hip hop's hundredth anniversary, if when and people are breaking that down, there's hopefully even more representation there. So with that, I think it's probably good for us to get started right before the list, but talk about some of the honorable mentions. So there were people that didn't quite make the cut of 50 but we still wanted to highlight them and the work that they did here so a few of those names here to give a shout out to so we have cindy campbell jermaine dupree audrey harrell j cole damon john what comes or what do you think about when you hear those names yeah, you know, I mean, Cindy Campbell, I
0: think, in many ways, you could look at her as the first promoter in hip-hop history, right? I mean, you know, we're talking about 50 years of hip-hop. That's 50 years from that first party that she and DJ Kool Herc threw, you know, in the rec room on Cedric Avenue. And I think the idea was that they were going to raise... Uh, a little bit of cash so she could go get herself a new back to school wardrobe now if that's not you know entrepreneurship and, and hip-hop you know from the very beginning i don't know what is and so i think cindy deserves a ton of credit for being there at the very beginning you know but i think on the honorable mentions too a lot of the folks that are on here you know are, are maybe like a little bit you know n- not exactly falling on a, the same radar you know for the list so like you know damon john obviously what he did with, you know, creating FUBU and, you know, everything he's done as an entrepreneur, that's incredible. But I think it's sort of like more of a national brand that is, you know, apart from hip hop. And so is his personality, right? Like you see him on shark tank or, you know, whatever, like he's sort of moved past, I wouldn't necessarily categorize him as just hip hop, although he's had a, a tremendous impact on hip hop. So I think probably that's why he wasn't on more lists. It's not to sort of ding him for his impact, which is considerable.
1: Right. And I do think that, of course, music is one element of hip hop. You do have fashion, you do have others. So music definitely got weighted heavily in this list, but Damon John and his influence in fashion. And there's other people in fashion, and we'll get into them in this list too, but we can't overlook everything he did there and some of the more unique and clever marketing tactics that came from fubu that other people did who will mention in this list as well one person that i do want to highlight here from that list two people so jermaine dupree want to give him a shout out as well just everything he was able to do with so so Def records he was part of that movement in the 90s when you saw LaFace and then all these other groups from the South be able to come up, do their own. There was a so-so deaf sound, a so-so deaf vibe, and his ability to do it both in rap but also have a bit of the soul there. Some of the epic production that he's been involved with, even outside of hip-hop, thinking about albums like Mariah um, Carey's Emancipation of Mimi and others, even though he didn't always do everything in hip-hop. I think that some of his influence can't go overstated there. And then the second person who's similar in that regard, I would say, is Andre Harrell. We talked about him in past episodes, especially the bad boy one, but everything that he did from Uptown Records and then moving on to Motown Records and gave, in many ways, helped give Puff the blueprint for what he was able to do years later.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think Andre had a lot of successes, also had a lot of failures, not necessarily, you know, through his own doing all the time, but definitely somebody who deserves, you know, a, a hat tip at the very least. And, you know, I'm sure Puff would, would agree about that too.
1: Agreed. Agreed. All right. Are we ready? Ready to get into it? Let's do it. All right. So in the initial group here, which we're calling the Don't Overlook Their Influence group, this is people who are ranked 50 through 41 so in order we have Ethiopia have Tiberian at 50. She was the former CEO of Motown. We have Top Dog, co-founder and CEO of Top Dog Entertainment. We have Mona Scott-Young from her work at Violators and more recently Love and Hip Hop and what she also has done with Hip Hop Homicides and some other multimedia projects. We have TI with everything he's done with Grand Hustle and Multimedia. We have EZE with Priority Records and... Many ways pioneering so much of the stuff we saw. We have Todd Moskowitz, L.A. Reed, Craig Kalman, former CEO from Atlantic. We have Sylvia Roan. And then tied for 40, we have Desiree Perez and Steve Stout. What are your thoughts on yeah. that group list? Don't oh, overlook it. Oh, man, I don't know. Maybe
0: we should just pick out a few here and there that, that we thought were particularly interesting. I mean, um, you know, I, I think Ethiopia is a good example of somebody who would be higher up if she were – identified you know solely as a you know as a hip-hop mogul but she's had kind of like a pretty wide reach you know especially in r&b and pop i mean some of the stuff she's done with erica badu neo stevie wonder you know like over the years you know wouldn't be classified as hip-hop but it's worth it nonetheless i just think that you know being kind of like in between in between genres you know resulted her being down a little bit further on the list but you know somebody who had a tremendous impact on the business for sure. You know, I would also, I would highlight TI here, you know, the the self-proclaimed King of the South, but you know, in terms of, I remember the years when, you know, we were putting together the Forbes list and, you know, kind of looking at, you know, kind of regionally, who was most important. I mean, yeah, he was sort of like the Jay Z of the South. And he was really, especially when he was having that moment, you know, getting a lot of songs on, you know, national radio and kind of being in the public eye. I mean, he had a tremendous business focus. You know he was always interested in sort of like what's the next thing that i can create and you know that that kind of entrepreneurial energy yeah i think especially within the context of the south like taking the blueprint from guys like jay-z you know i think he certainly deserves a mention i kind of thought he'd end up higher here but i guess he's been not as especially on the music front lately and then i would definitely highlight desiree you know she's somebody who's been behind the scenes for a really long time with jay-z and rock nation but like she runs rock nation and although Jay-Z obviously has the final say in things, you know, a, a lot of things that you see come out of that camp are, you know, her doing and have her fingerprints all over them. And I know some of y'all might've seen the Book of Hove exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum or the uh, Brooklyn Public Library. That was a Desiree Perez production. And, you know, she said that it was like her emptying her 80,000 uh, square foot storage unit <laughs> into, the, into the library. But, you know, but to have, you know, that kind of impacted a place like Rock Nation and to help. You know, Jay Z do what he's done. You know, I I think those are all worthy uh, of notation. And, you know, I think she deserves her spot there uh, for sure.
1: Yeah. Desiree's someone that has been working with Jay Z for a while now. And I I feel like she deserved a shout out on Jay's verse uh, in Pound Cake with the Drake song. You know, where he's like, Dave made millions, Lior made millions. I feel like Desiree should have got a shout out there too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that she got mentioned here. Two other names I'll run through quickly. Steve Stout, someone who I thought would have ended up higher. And I know that, you know, it was interesting to see how the results played out. But I do think that one of the best marketers that we've seen come through hip-hop, he was ahead of the curve in a number of ways, dating back to the 90s with seeing the men in black sunglasses and everything that he's done there from his time working with Nas, everything that they've done, whether it was the firm or him being a record executive himself, and then... Showing as well how he's able to do it in advertising and bringing a lot of these companies and brands that didn't necessarily align or think about being related with, you know, hip hop culture and those elements to be able to do it. You look at a company like State Farm and how we now look at what that company has done. And a lot of that is through his work and obviously what he's done at United Masters. So shout out there. And. I also do want to give a shout out to Mona Scott Young. Mentioned her earlier, but she was a right hand to someone who will mention on the list as well. Coming up soon with everything she did in Violator. This was back when, you know, Q-Tip and Bust Arrives and that whole crew were doing their thing. And then later, I know people have a lot of polarizing opinions about love and hip-hop, but. If you look at the career opportunities that were created for people that have came through and the longevity that she's granted, a lot of people that the record industry forgot about that she was able to continue to give opportunities for. Think about the trick daddies, Trinas, and folks like that. I know people hate to see them arguing on camera, but... Would we have Cardi B where she is today if it weren't for the platform of love and hip hop? And she's continued to do things with other moguls on the list that we'll get into. So I do want to give a shout out to her.
0: Yeah, definitely a worthy shout out. And we could probably go on and on about even just like the 10 in this bracket here. But I suppose we ought to, we ought to move on to the next rung before, <laughs> before we
1: run out of time. Indeed. Yep. So the next group is playing Chestnut Checkers. So at 39, we have Dave Mays, founder of The Source. 38, we have Irv Gotti, founder of Murder, Inc. 37, Cardi B. 36, Lil Wayne. 35, Nipsey Hussle. 34, Steve Rifkin from Loud Records. 33, Missy Elliott. 32, Birder from Cookies. 31, Kevin Lyles. And 30, Chris Lighty. Oh man, this is a pretty stacked bracket, I must say. I think that, you know, there are a couple names that stick
0: out to me here. I'm going to go with Nipsey and Burner because in a funny way, I think they have like a sort of a similar a sort of similar strategy, which is like you have a very clear idea of what it is that you're going to do. You own it and then you, you know, you continue to own it. Like ownership was just such an important thing for Nipsey, such an important thing for Burner. And, you know, in interviewing the two of them, I would say their mindset around ownership was the closest I've ever seen to Jay-Z. And they really understood from the beginning that they had to own all their music, own all of their branding, own you know the companies they create on the side, and then they can monetize it later. And, you know, with Nipsey, rest in peace. I mean, he was just on the cusp of, of kind of like becoming a mainstream superstar you know, when his life ended all all too soon. So I think what Burner is doing with Cookies is really fascinating. Like Burner is, you know, you want to talk lists. I mean, he's in the top five, probably the top four or three at this point in terms of net worth for actual hip hop artists. And that's because of the success of Cookies. And, you know, there's been a lot of ups and downs in the cannabis business lately, but like The amount of ownership that he has, you know, I think it amounts to about one third still of cookies, which is a billion dollar brand. When weed gets legalized, you know, like he's going to see the fruits of his labor and that focus on ownership, I think, is really going to pay off on the long term. So I would highlight those two guys in this tier as the ones that I think were the
1: most impressive to me. That's not to shade anybody else, but. Yeah, those two guys are also two of the few people who I see people still wearing their merchandise on a regular basis. Granted, I live in San Francisco. There's a cookie store here, so I, I, I mean, I know there is a local connection for sure. But same with Nipsey Hustle. I mean, sadly, it's now been over four years since he passed away, and you still see Crenshaw shirts. He understood Nipsey, especially understood exactly where everything's going, and it's just so sad that you know it was gone so soon. Two names I'm going to shout out here. I'm going to shout shout out Cardi B, and I want to shout out Chris Lighty. So Cardi B talked about her a little with the Mona Scott Young piece, but she's entered and ran her rap career more uniquely than other artists that we've seen at her level have. And I think that speaks a lot to just where the game is now. It's been over six years since Bodak Yellow came out. And it's been over five years now since her debut album. This is someone who hasn't put out a studio album in over five years and hasn't gone on tour in a traditional way, but is still doing her thing. And I think this is one of the things that's unique. She finds interesting ways to monetize herself and to put herself on. She's like, hey. I can do these private shows and they're going to pay me, you know, $1.5 million or $3 million just to do a half an hour set. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be there at Super Bowl weekend. I may not be performing at the Super Bowl, but I'm going to go do these private shows for Bobcraft or the Fanatics event or all these things and collect the checks. It's very interesting to see a younger artist do that Lionel Richie playbook, but she is like, Hey, I don't necessarily have to do that. And. Even though people always do try to you know, loop her into the Nicki Minaj versus Cardi B beef, she still has lended her hand and extended it to other young artists, especially women in the game, whether it's Ice Spice and others, whether she's doing it through her talents and others. So she's someone that I hope as she continues on you know into her 30s and into her 40s can continue to rise up this list and then chris lighty talked about him a little bit with mona Scott young co-founder of violator and everything they're able to do there sad that he was taken away so soon but if you have not heard this yet and if you haven't listened to the podcast i highly recommend the mogul podcast series that was done several years ago on it it was done by reggie Jose who is Combat Jack, who has since passed away as well. But I highly recommend that if you want a full breakdown on everything Chris Lighty did, Violator and After That was truly one of the early ones looking at product partnerships and a lot of the things that we see now that are common in hip hop.
0: And, you know, if we didn't have Chris Lighty, I don't think we would have had 50 Cent. I mean, at least not to the extent that we have him. You know, I mean, I remember writing my first story about 50 and like for Forbes maybe 2008 And sitting down with Chris and just kind of like hearing him lay out the plan. And again, it's the emphasis on ownership, right? You know, Chris Lighty, I think, was the one who really pushed 50 to take the equity in Vitamin Water and its parent company rather than just do an endorsement. And, you know, obviously that became a huge deal and and really like a model for so much not only of hip hop, but like other parts of the entertainment industry. So. You know, I think Chris definitely deserves a spot, maybe even should be a little higher. And, you know, probably also there's, you know, again, all these folks deserve a shout out. But Kevin Lyles, I think, has got one of the most inspirational stories. You know, it's another person I think we both interviewed a bunch of times. But, you know, just his journey from intern to president of Def Jam in, I think, seven years. And he just did it by working harder than everybody else. Like he wasn't an artist that got put there because he had some hit it wasn't some kind of like nepotism deal you know he just outworked everybody and you know he had the talent and you know the horsepower to just like get it done and to make that journey within seven years so i think it's for people who are listening and you know want to do something like that with their own career you know study kevin Lyles because he was able to make it without being you know some kind of like preternatural singing talent or something like that he just did it on smarts and work work ethic
1: And one of the few people that co-founded a record label and sold it a decade later for hundreds of millions of dollars, which is what he did. 300 as well, right? So, of course, not 300 now under Warner, but everything he did with Lior and Todd there is impressive. There's not that many black founders in general, in tech, any sector that have built and exited companies for several hundred uh, million dollars, the way that he was able to be a part of that. So hats off to him.
0: Yeah, I think it takes a special kind of guts to be able to, you know, I mean, he was a a well-paid executive with a cushy music job, you know, to leave that world, start your own thing. I mean, I know they had, you know, big backers and everything, but like to take a risk once you've already experienced a level of success and and to go out and start something, you know, as opposed to starting something from scratch when you have nothing anyway. I mean, it takes a lot of gumption to do that. So, you know, again, yes, a, a pretty cool second act for
1: Kevin Lyles. Indeed. The next group here, our impact runs deep. It is Nicki Minaj at 29, Will Smith at 28, Swiss Beats 27, L O Cool J 26, Coach K and P 25, Julie Greenwald 24, E40 23, Pharrell 22, and Rick Ross 21. Yeah, I think that's a pretty strong uh, (laughs) deck there. I I think also, you know, here you
0: find some people who, you could argue should be higher or lower based on you know how much of their career was done in the hip hop music world, right? Like Queen Latifah, LL Cool J, Will Smith. Obviously, those are huge crossover acts, but I think they all got a lot of points from some of the voters because you know that is in one way the measure of a mogul, like you're diversifying your portfolio, and whether that's by owning different things or you know by getting into different types of performance, you know, on the silver screen. I, I think that's a viable path too. But just from a, like a, a purely musical entrepreneurial perspective, I would highlight Swiss Beats and Pharrell, who I think you know the two of them are more influential than anybody in terms of like I'd say Swiss in terms of art and Pharrell in terms of fashion. And you know some of the things they've done around those two areas. And you know Pharrell certainly now with LVMH, but also before with Ice Cream and Billionaire Boys Club. You know he was very active in starting his own things on the fashion side and you know kind of inspiring artists to do that you know would we have had a Yeezy if we hadn't had Pharrell you know doing what he was doing and you know and even doing what he did with Adidas you know I don't know about that and Swiss beat certainly you know not only from the art side of things but you know a really impressive art collection I did a story on him a few years ago and you know he's got like Jeff Koons sculptures and Basquiats and Warhols and his you know like in his foyer I mean it's pretty impressive stuff but the way that he moves behind the scenes as sort of like a corporate brand whisperer at places, you know, like Bacardi, Lotus, you know, this goes on. You know, I think he he's sort of like more quietly influential than some folks realize and, you know, certainly ha- has been earning on par with, you know, with all the, you know, most of the names if not higher than most of the names we've mentioned so far. And, you know, what he's done, both of them, what they've done on the production side, also hard to top. So that must count for something as well. I kind of went more than one shout out there, didn't I? Yeah,
1: no, that was good. That was good. I'm glad you mentioned the two of them, though, because if you didn't, I probably would have called the other one out. The thing about Swiss as well, everything that he's done with Versus specifically also embodies this idea and definition of a mogul because he was able to be a kingmaker in the sense of creating opportunities for others he did that through the equity that he was able to give all of those early participants in versus in triller itself and then additionally with the careers that were able to have a boost because of everything that happened with the matchups from Versus specifically. You look at someone like Ashanti who is now doing tours and popping up every now and then. She wasn't doing that before her Versus and her battle versus Keisha Cole was one of the not, if not the most watched one that we've had. You look at Jadakus and everything that he's been able to do since his epic showdown against with Locks versus Dipset with that Versus. You look at Jeezy versus Gucci Mane. I know that Versus definitely had its peak popularity during the pandemic but that kind of stuff that he was able to do with timbaland i think also speaks so much to everything that he's been able to do there and another person i want to mention too that's was in this group as well that i think is similar is ll cool j because i think similar to the way that swiss beats is LL Cool has also been someone that's been involved with multimedia with everything from the jump. He was the first artist to truly break through from Def Jam and did it as a teenager. So of course, he gets, you know, plenty of shout out for that. But He's also always been trying to find ways to look out for that next generation of artists, and he's been doing some of that more recently with Rock the Bells, and that's its own company and entity now where they have a festival coming up as well to celebrate things that are happening with hip-hop's anniversary, so it's been cool to see him do things as well, and I'll give a very brief shout-out here to Coach K and P because they, similar to how I mentioned Kevin Lyles, were able to build and grow a company and then sell it for, I believe, I forget the exact sale price for quality control, but they were able to do that thanks in part to a lot of the work that Ethiopia had done helping to give quality control the platform that it did. And especially in an era where I think it's harder for a record label to have a true brand, they were able to help give it a boost. That's true.
0: And on that note of labels, I think Julie Greenwald deserves a mention, you know, she and Craig Kalman, who's mentioned in an earlier grouping, you know, run Atlantic together. And there's a lot of music that we wouldn't have seen if it had been for the two of them, you know, running the show over there. So shout out to Julie. I mean, the only one actually we haven't discussed here with E40 and Rick Ross. And I don't know, you know, probably get moving. But do you think Rick Ross deserves to be number 21 on this entire list, like ahead of Pharrell, ahead of, you know, some of the other names on here?
1: I was surprised that he was ranked this high. I love the spicy questions because this is what people wanted to hear the podcast about, right? They wanted to hear one of us, you know, poke the bear a little bit. If Rick Ross was able to nail that dive in the pool, do you think you would have ranked him higher?
0: <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. Have. I mean, I still know. I mean, you know, like I get it. You know, he's called the boss that he must be a mogul, you know, and some of the things he's done in terms of, you know, Bel Air and Maybach music and all that. Sure. But like, You know, when you put him up against like some of the other ones, did he really do something new or was he more just like following a blueprint that had worked for others before and, you know, executing it to a degree of success? But like, again, not, you know, not to the level of, let's say, Pharrell. I think maybe I just I'm salty that he ended up ahead of Pharrell. I think Pharrell is just way more influential
1: and mogul But I don't know. What do you think? So I've read two of Ross's books and I interviewed him once on Trapiddle. I think that, to your point, he did follow the blueprint that we saw from others. I think he is smart about the types of partnerships he does, but it does feel like a Diddy Light type of playbook that he's been able to do and build. And I do think a lot of it makes sense. He may not necessarily have the large media entities the way that he does, although I do think he's overdue for some type of comedy show or some type of reality show, just following him around because I think he's hilarious. And anytime that he gets that, it could just generate something unique. And I'm sure he's been hit up about it. I do think that he's done well for himself. Just thinking about now how his career has grown. I think it's been what 16, 17 years since Hustlin first came out. I think in this range, there is some flexibility there in terms of like where people are in certain ways. I get why He may not necessarily be as high. I'm sure if you looked at the net worth or the earnings, that some of the people that are lower than him may actually be higher. I think one of the knocks potentially is, although Maybach Music was cool, I wrote about this in Trappold as well. I think there was a missed opportunity, and part of that comes from, huh, Did Ross do all the things that he probably could have done from a leadership perspective to, especially like when Meek Mill and Wally were beefing and stuff. And I think Ross had a bit more of a laissez-faire approach to things, which in some ways is kind of the opposite of kingmaking as we're talking about this, right? Can we really bring folks together and make something larger than it is? I think it was a bit tough in general for people to try to do everything themselves, try to be the boss of this label, which is signed to a different label because Rick Ross was signed to a different label than the MMG was himself. And I think anytime you have that type of dynamic, it's just splitting the leadership interests. So I hear you.
0: Yeah. So then how much of a mogul are you if your label is really, you know, so I guess everybody's label is on somebody else's label and they'd you distributed by something, but you know, it's like when they're like multiple labels kind of... You know, intertwined with your label, it kind of calls into question are you really the boss if you have several bosses that you're answering to? But, you know, I think actually, though, in Rick Ross's defense, what he's done with Wingstop, I mean, that is pretty unique. And I don't know that anybody else on this list has something comparable in that space. So, you know, maybe that's why I think, you know, by virtue of that, you could put him pretty high up. And maybe that's what some of the judges were thinking. You know, he also ended up on a lot of lists like, you know, so some of the judges just kind of like maybe we're getting to some of the judges sent rank lists and they're like, you know, this person is the top and they should get the most points. And other people were like, here are my people and you can just rank them evenly. And I think Rick Ross ended up on a lot of those lists. So, you know, I think, again, maybe like I was alluding to earlier, he's a bit of a compiler. Nothing wrong with that. You know, you can get in the Hall of Fame by compiling
1: 3000 hits. But it's interesting to see how how the opinions differ. That's the whole fun of it. He runs his businesses almost like how a small business owner would in a number of ways where he has a bunch of car washes and, you know, his, his one of the family members does that. He has his wing stops, right? He has that. And it is a bit of this like mogul dumbness from that perspective in terms of like, okay, I have my hands in these things and I've hired people to have, you know, different roles within that That doesn't necessarily have things in aggregate it's a bit more of the strip mall mentality as opposed to the you know building a skyscraper that could then build other skyscrapers but it's something worth mentioning but i hope we keep that up with a few of the other rankings we have coming up as we dig into the top 20 here so yeah let's start with 20. so 20 queen latifah I think that she and Ice Cube, who we'll get into in a minute, were one of the first that noticed, hey, I may not be able to do this rap thing forever. Where are areas that I can expand this multimedia empire and everything I'm building? She was able to do this with Living Single, the show that was Friends before Friends was. And even the way that she was able to show young black people that were having, you know, highly sought after roles but they still had their interpersonal dynamics it was cool it was refreshing it was aspirational which i do think that a lot of the black sitcoms were in the 90s and she was able to do that continue finding ways to put other people on as well through the work that she did she was also willing to take risks like i remember when she was in set it off people had a bunch of questions about oh you're gonna play a lesbian in this heist movie what is this going to do for your career and she was willing to do that and i think she is always you know be willing to take risks so you know shout out to her and i'm glad that several people mentioned her
0: yeah and i think she gets credit for like you say diversifying her portfolio you know into the acting world it's worth noting you know she was barely ahead of rick ross but you know there is a big difference between 21 and 20 it's the top 20 so Again, I think, you know, she was a bit of a compiler, but there were a couple of people who ranked her in the top 10. And, you know, I think just like in terms of the, the breadth of her career, you know, the longevity, the diversity of the things that she's gotten into, you know, even if it's not as much ownership as somebody, even like a Rick Ross, it's just like having your hands in, in, in a lot of pies and like that really counts for something as a mogul. So I think it makes sense to see her there.
1: Agreed. 19 is Eminem. So let's talk about it. How do we feel about Eminem at 19?
0: You know, I think it's a weird one. Honestly, you know, there's no doubting his lyrical prowess and where, you know, where he kind of stacks up as as part of like the pantheon of lyricists, like fine. But is he really a mogul? I mean, he's somebody who has been, you know, very reclusive at times, who has, you know, kind of gotten in his own way at other times. I mean, I could see ranking him up here, though, just by virtue of ownership of the music and sort of like the qu- the quality and quantity of his catalog, you know, what he did with D12, you know, he did have shady records and, you know, and all that. So again, you know, there there is kind of a layer cake of a, of a label situation like some of the folks who mentioned earlier, Rick Ross, but you know, that was at least important to him to set up, you know, a- as his continued ownership of, you know, his work. And, you know, certainly when it comes to like raw commercial prowess You know, Eminem is one of the best selling hip hop artists of all time, if not the best, depending on how you look at it. And just, you know, simply by virtue of the amount of revenue he generated, you know, throughout the late nineties and early aughts at the peak of the sort of CD age there, you know, that deserves some kind of something, even if he wasn't running around starting his own, you know, side businesses as much as some of these other folks.
1: Best selling artist of the 2000s by a pretty strong amount, I believe, and has the most Of any genre, right? Of any genre, right. Yeah. Yeah. And the most streamed song of the 2000s as well, at least on Spotify with Lose Yourself. And I'm pretty sure Till I Collapse and maybe a couple of others aren't too far behind. As Will Page, uh, Spotify's former chief economist, said, anytime Eminem farts or burps or releases anything on a streaming service, it provides a huge bump to everything in this back catalog. So yeah. <laughs> I still laugh about that, but I do think that speaks to it there. And if Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he was one of the first hip-hop artists to have a serious XM channel himself. Mm, that's a good point, yeah. So that's something that's unique, and obviously Sirius is still doing its thing. So shout out to him there. A bit higher than I probably would have ranked him, but that's why it's interesting to get the group results here. Uh, this one's going to be spicy. Number 18, your boy, Suge Knight. Uh,
0: yeah, you know, I mean... I think this is one of the tougher ones on the entire list. You know, this is not like a list of Miss Congeniality or Mr. Congeniality, as you'll see, you know, some of the other names on here. Obviously, you know, Sugar's in jail. He's been involved in the death of, you know, human beings. But Like that is, you know, not sort of like what you're after in a, in a mogul here, but enough people, you know, I guess felt that the business, if just, you know, looking at it from a pure business perspective was enough to put him up here. And, you know, there is no arguing that Death Row at its peak was one of the most influential record labels, you know, not just in hip-hop, but of anything, I mean, any genre. When Death Row was at its hottest, I don't know any kind of moment where any other, you know, you'd have to stack that up against peak Motown or, you know, Atlantic or something like that. But, you know, that was really like a peak moment. So, you know, I think this is one of the things we run into on this list. Like, if somebody exhibits a level of, you know, sort of business ingenuity, you know, that counts for something. And, you know, the other things that you do in your life and your career, you know, w- will detract from that. But, you know, what you did at your peak, I think, will get you pretty far on a list like this when people would kind of count, you know, would kind of count sort of
1: like the ceiling as opposed to the average in some cases. So I don't know. What do you think? These are the two most impressive business moves that suge knight has done number two is shaking down vanilla ice to get his points for everything that he did on the album that had ice ice baby there because he was able to use that money to then start and co-found death row with dr Dre. that's number two number one is at the 1995 source awards where he publicly makes his call to attract tupac to say hey i know you're in jail but we're riding with you tupac wasn't signed there at the time but he knew that this was an opportunity tupac likely needed somewhere to call a home and he called his shot and he was able to make it happen i know everyone talks about the diddy shot about you know being all in the video death row and that of course is infamous in its own right but i think the number one thing that Shug Knight did is that that said those two things speak to what Shug Knight is one it is that muscle and the prowess of being able to overpower a situation and then take an advantage. And I think those were things that he was good at. That said, I don't think he was necessarily strong as a business leader. The company imploded in large part, and I don't think it imploded because of Dr. Dre. It imploded because of all of the things, all the shenanigans. And I think for what he was building, some of that just got a little too close to the sun, unfortunately, and that's struck so Knight.
0: And I think that, you know, in some of the reporting I've done over the years, one of the things people say is that Suge and a lot of the guys around him, you know, it wasn't that they were necessarily like that. It's just they kind of had been watching too many bad gangster movies and the music business didn't know what to do with somebody like Suge Knight. And so the more he kind of like played this role, the more he, he grew into it to where to the point where he was actually living sort of a bad gangster movie and sort of like created, turned himself into a monster. Yeah. So I think like the evolution The evolution of somebody like Suge Knight is sort of fascinating in terms of like what you can, what sort of
1: playing a role can do to you over the course of time. Agreed and well said. Number 17 here is America's Most Wanted, Ice Cube. I'll start here to kick things off. I think that Ice Cube, like Queen Latifah mentioned earlier, was one of the early ones who had said that he knew that. Living and doing everything off a of rap wasn't gonna last forever. And I think a lot of it was because he experienced some of the brunt and ugliness of it. I mean, we've all seen the Straight Out of Compton movie. He goes into Jerry Heller's office, he starts smashing shit, he releases no Vaseline. There was definitely a no fucks given that carried through even after he was done with NWA, but he saw what this industry is like as well. And then that's when he starts writing screenplays. And then that's how Friday because a thing becomes a thing. And then his career just continues to take off after that. He still dabbled in rap and did his thing, but he definitely became known early on for one of the people that took a risk with Cube Entertainment and everything that he was able to do there. And with any of the movies that he had, whether it was the movies with Mike Epps and plenty others, I do believe that most of these movies were pretty profitable. And he was able to Do it work within the confines that he had and just continue to build everything he did from a career we've seen him expand as well into everything that he's done with the big three specifically giving a home for basketball players that can still play but maybe they can't make you know a 13 uh person nba roster anymore I do think that some of his more recent news highlights that are a bit more politically driven or him walking around with Tucker Carlson and probably taken it away from some of the more prominent memories of Hugh Ice Cube is. But yeah, that's why I had had him or, or that's why he I think deserves to be, you know, where he is on the list.
0: Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, you see uh, Eminem, Suge Knight, Ice Cube all together you know, they're all inextricably connected to Dr. Dre, one way or the other, right? And, you know, would there would Dre have been Dre without the three of them, you know, at different phases of his career? You know, I don't know. I mean, I think certainly what Ice Cube did as part of NWA, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, that NWA was like, like a business first organization, but like that wasn't the point of NWA. And if it hadn't been for NWA, I don't think you would have been able to have business-first organizations come out of hip-hop in the way that you did, and certainly, you know, somebody like Dr. Dre. So uh, I think he gets extra points for that, and, you know, and this is probably why, you know, he, he was, again, I don't know, was he a compiler? He was, you know, he had, like, a lot of kind of middling, he was on a lot of lists, a couple top ten votes, you know, so, yeah, you know, I think, again, everybody has their favorite, and he's up there for a lot of folks.
1: Agreed. Number 16 is Drake. Should we poke the bear again? Yeah. Does Drake deserve to be at number 16 on this list? This one surprised me. I was very surprised at the number of people that had him on the list. Because you can make a case for the opposite, right? It's similar to the Eminem thing, but almost to the extreme. Because Eminem, yes, most commercially successful artists, XYZ. There's other artists that are less commercially successful than Eminem that did more in that mogul definition. But for Drake, it's even bigger of a delta between these two because here you have the most streamed artists of all time. So clearly commercially successful on his own, right? But people believe that OVO records or OVO sound itself actually could hurt an artist's career. And when you think about that, you think about some of the other multimedia things that he's done. I know he's been active as an investor and I know that people like Nicki Minaj and others have said, Oh, you know, Drake's a low key billionaire. He just doesn't want you to know it personally. Again, he may be, I mean, I'm not you know, sure what he may not disclose, but it isn't always just about wealth. It's like, what opportunities were you able to create for each other? I do think it's good that Drake has been able to have different people that have been working alongside that I think did get a bit of that Drake stimulus package. And I think that's something that is quite debated, but I do think that I feel like 21 Savage has definitely benefited from it. I mean, he was already commercially successful, but for him and Drake to do a joint album together was huge. I think it was in the same way that it was huge for Future, in the same way that the Migos going on tour with Drake in 2018 was huge for them and anything else that Drake continues to do from that perspective. So I think it is, you know, debatable, but I mean, people do definitely add some weight to the artists themselves.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think he should be around m M&M, and and whether they're both too high is an open question. But, you know, th- there's no doubting the commercial viability uh, of what he's done. He did start more side businesses in m and right, with OVO, whether it's the label, the festival, the clothing line. You know, he started a whiskey brand called Virginia Black, which I tried once. It tasted OK, but I don't think it's selling. You know, I don't know if he's even still doing it yeah he is definitely involved as a startup investor so maybe you know we'll see some exits and we start to think of him differently at that point but yeah i you know again i think it's some voters just kind of overweighted, you know musical prowess and pop culture influence and if you're talking about that i i don't know anybody who's been uh as influential in the, in the past 15 years i mean he's you know he's the most streamed artist of all time
1: and that's got to count for something right I know his cannabis line failed, but there's a lot of people, even people that we'll get to in this list that have also had failed or struggling cannabis businesses. And there's a lot that we could discuss there, but moving on. Number 15 is Sylvia Robinson, the originator.
0: I, I think she deserves to be in the top five personally. Uh, uh, And Sylvia Robinson. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that we have hip hop and, you know, it's, you know, for those who don't know the story, She was running Sugar Hill Records with her husband, Joe. Sylvia was actually a child star singer herself. And, you know, they kind of had this like middling existence with their label. And then all of a sudden she's at this birthday party that she didn't even want to go to in Harlem. And she sees Lovebug Starsky up on the microphone. A hip hop, a hippie to the hippie to the hip hip hop. You know, this is early, early 70s. She's never heard anything like it. All the kids, you know, hands in the air like you just don't care. And the whole thing. She tries to get Lovebug to sign. There's some kind of dispute like with his management. It never happens. And so she just goes to the pizzeria in New Jersey, finds three kids, get him, gets them to talk real fast over this record is how she described it. And that's, you know, that's Rapper's Delight. That's the first hip hop song on Wax. That's the first hit, you know, that sort of spawns the whole genre. So you could certainly argue that, you know, she borrowed or she hired hired people who borrowed or whatever to do this, you know, like the idea that, that the first hip-hop track on wax was like you know originated in a pizza shop in new jersey is really unfortunate because it started at the bronx but like you know sylvia came from harlem she you know she she knew that world like you know she was part of of the music business and for better or worse she took hip-hop from being you know just basically like spoken word in person kind of thing to being you know a national event so would it have happened eventually yeah i think so but you know, who knows? I mean, it could have taken years longer. And if it took years longer, you know, are we going to have the 80s with like Ren DMC and Def Jam and all that? Like, you know, I don't know. I mean, it could have taken a lot longer to get off the ground if she hadn't done what she'd done. And, you know, I don't think we, I don't think we should really be dinging Sylvia Robinson for her Machiavellian tactics, given some of the other people on this list. You know, we're talking like Suge Knight and, and whoever else, you know, there's quite nefarious characters, you know, as we get higher up too in this list. So, you know, I don't think anything she did was remotely as bad as as like a lot of the dudes on this list. And, you know, so, you know, let's, I think we give her her due and yeah, I would definitely put her higher, but you know, I think that's part of the deal when, when you have somebody who's that early on, you know, people are going to say, oh, well, you know, the total gross is not quite as much as so-and-so or or whatever the case may be. And she wasn't as famous as some of the artists. So, but you know, she's up there. I mean, ahead of some pretty big names, Drake, Eminem,
1: what have you. So I, I think she's getting some flowers here. The total gross knock is always one that makes me roll my eyes a bit because even if you take out the inflation aspect and the amount of money that's now in the industry – This is something that happens with pioneers in any type of industry. They are the ones that take the early hits to make it possible. She and her work is what made it possible for Rapper's Delight. She and her work is what made it possible for The Message. And anything else that we then see after that, yes, Sugar Hill Records did have its struggles afterward like many other labels, but... When you think about broader context of the 80s being a very tough time in general for black music, and there were only a certain number of decision makers in power that could make that happen. Yeah, you have to take that into account. And then additionally, she did stuff outside of even just this record label itself. As you mentioned, she was a recording artist herself. She also owned a nightclub. So there were other mogul type things that she had her hands in. So shout out to Sylvia. Who knows where this would be without her?
0: And probably worth caveating also that, you know, she did have some disputes over paying artists as the years went on. So did, like, really a lot of people on this list. If we could do, like, a whole separate, you know, like, has some kind of dispute on how they pay artists. So, you know, that that's probably worth noting, too. But yeah, I mean, so does everybody else. And, you know, I think she deserves her flowers.
1: Number 14, Dame Dash.
0: Another, another hot one coming in. I mean, I think a lot of people would d- disagree with this, but you know, some people would put him even higher. I mean, I think he might be the most polarizing name on this entire list. Like some people had him top five, you know, some people didn't list him at all. You know, I think it kind of comes in. We've had this conversation before. Would there be a Jay-Z without a Damon Dash? You know, I mean, I think so, but it's that part of a, you know, we've talked about him in the context of startups. And do you, you know, you need a different kind of founder for your like, pre-seed days than you do for your Series B. You know, if you're a, like a mafia family, you need like a wartime Don, you know, versus like a peacetime Don or whatever it's called. But like, you know, I think Dame Dash is a wartime Don. He's a seed stage startup founder. And he doesn't fare as well, you know, when it comes to like the growth stage and the corporate boardrooms and stuff. But you know, there's no denying his brilliance. You know I think what he did, you know, certainly with rock aware, you know, expanding the Rockefeller empire beyond music, you know, maybe he realized that Jay was eventually going to leave and that they they just, it wasn't going to be forever. And so he wanted to get his hands into, you know, as many different areas as he could, but you know, there's like a lot of pro and and a fair bit of con, but you know, I think again, he's one who, you know, the pro outweighed the con. He didn't kill anybody, you know? (laughs) So there's some people on here who did Yeah.
1: The con is only like so much con, in my opinion. This con, This episode of Trapital was brought to you by Hitmaker, where you can tell your story through music. Despite all the tools available, music creation is still a chaotic process. There are huge file transfers, unanswered text messages, and timing delays. It turns a process that should take weeks into a process that takes months. That's why Hitmaker was launched. It's a centralized platform for creators to collaborate and manage projects instantly with professional quality. You can share files, record audio, mix, master, and distribute your music all in one place. Hitmaker also offers $1,000 grants to indie artists to use towards studio time, marketing, merch, live shows, and more. Join over 3,000 artists today who are using Hitmaker. Get started for free by going to hitmaker.com. That's H I T M K R.com. Conversation makes me think about that backstage documentary that Rockefeller had put out after the Hard Knock Life tour. And there's that infamous scene of Dave Dash yelling and swearing at Kevin Lyles, who was at Def Jam at the time, about the jackets and where one logo was supposed to be or something other than that. And thinking about that in context now of like, you know, how we talked about Kevin Lyles and everything he was able to do from that run and still can continue to do and with where Dame Dash is, is in his career. Dame Dash, doing his thing, I think he very much lived through and practiced and preached the ownership standards that worked for him, where he has Dame Dash Studios, Dame Dash This, and he's been able to create exactly what he wanted to. We heard him on that infamous 2015 Breakfast Club interview where he's yelling at DJ Envy and Charlemagne about, oh, well, if your son wants a job, can you get him a job here at Power 104 10- or whatever? No. Well, I can do him at, at where I'm at. And as comic as the delivery was, there is some aspect of moguldom that is a bit of that king-making aspect of, okay, can you create opportunities for others around you? What those opportunities look like definitely vary, and I think that is a factor. So I do highlight that as something that Dame was able to do. And Dame is also similar to, he's similar to a polarizing basketball player in the sense that the media may look and be like, why do you all fuck with this guy? Like, what's going on? But if you ask the people that are actually in it, a lot of them will be like, oh, well, you got to look at Dame Dash. Dame Dash is the guy. And when I have interviewed, I'm sure you've interviewed and talked to many of young artists too or young label executives too, a lot of them will reference Dame Dash. A lot of them will look at what he was able to do alongside Rockefeller almost in the same way that you know, players will swear by Kyrie or swear by James Harden or some other type of athlete that may be polarizing in their own right. And the media is like, oh, why do you all like this guy? And it's like, oh, well, no, you don't understand. So there's something about the people. And obviously I say that being self-aware is us as people more so on the media side, as opposed to being in, in it themselves. But there's something about these young artists and moguls as well, that have always looked up and respected what Dame Has built, And even though it may not resonate, like personally, I I, I acknowledge that.
0: I I would say if you're going to make a basketball reference, maybe not personality, but like basketball style, I'd almost liken him to Carmelo Anthony, you know, like he's an isolationist. He's a scorer. Like, you know, he may not be very good at distributing the basketball, but like, you know, you throw him the ball in the corner and he's going to find a way to, to get it in. And, you know, like a lot of people wouldn't think that he belongs in the Hall of Fame at all, you know, but some people would be insistent on it. So, you know, I, yeah, I think that sort of like singular focus, you know, you could definitely give him
1: credit for that. Agreed. Number 13, we Cohen.
0: Man, another like bulldozer of a human being, but, you know, certainly somebody who, you know, maybe he has also got the finger roll, you know, like he <laughs> he, he can have a, a light touch when needed. You know, I think just like in terms of Longevity. We talk about longevity with some of the names on this list. You know, Lero was there in the very beginning of hip hop. You know, managing rappers. I think he's the road manager of Run DMC, taking a leadership role, running Def Jam and Warner, starting 300. Now, you know, YouTube's head of music. You know, like the number of careers that he's touched over the years, from you know whatever hip hop pioneers you want to mention. I mean, you know, talking about LL Cool J, Run DMC, Beastie Boys you know, to like later on with, you know, Jay, and then, you know, more recently, like whose career doesn't he touch at YouTube? You know, I think he's a hard one to argue with. I mean, you know, I think though that, I I like this basketball analogy though. He might be more of a Scottie Pippen because he's always been like, you know, there's almost always somebody else who he's working with who is like higher up on this list than he is, you know? And we can get to some of those names in a bit, but I guess now now that he's at YouTube, he really is running the show, but he can score, he can make the assist, you know, get these e- tr- rebounds, get the triple double. I think Leo is a definitely deserves a spot up here.
1: Yeah, been doing it for, what, four plus decades now, if we're looking back just, well, almost four decades if we're looking at it in total, but impressive each step of the way. And there is something admirable, I think, about the no fucks given mentality and perspective of just how he's been able to do things. And I do think that a lot of hip hop executives over time have been criticized for not thinking about efficiency and things like that enough. And I do think that Lior was one of them who probably leaned a bit more into that. And regardless of who it was willing to call someone out about it. I. Think back to there was this interview that he had done with Young Thug a couple years ago. And this is back when Leo was at 300. And Thug, they were talking about the process. And he says to Thug, He's like, Why don't you spend more time on your music? You have these like little songs that you just like leave like little orphans. Like, why don't you like actually grow and nurture them? And it's back and forth where Thug's trying to be like, Oh, he doesn't understand it. You know, you got to just drop frequently the audience. That's what they want to hear. So it was very much an interesting dichotomy of just seeing where things are with the streaming era. But I think that highlighted that even when thug was peak like everyone was like oh yeah thug is the next one up he was still like hey no like you need to do better so there was something interesting about that and then even I think his mission as well with YouTube, like I think before he got there with YouTube, YouTube was often seen as such an enemy of the music industry in some ways, the same way that any other type of distributor is. And he's took it upon his badge to be like, no, I don't only really want to be a friend of YouTube. I want to be the number one source of revenue for the music industry. So really working to just change the narrative, both from a positioning perspective, but also everything there I think has been a cool additional chapter in his career because i think a lot of the people that we have maybe named on this list that were big in the 80s or 90s but are kind of on the list for legacy reasons like we are still doing it yeah yeah absolutely all right who do we got next i think 12 we got jimmy
0: ivine that's interesting I, i thought he would be higher i think we both had him higher but you know maybe i think sometimes yeah again he's another one where when you have like such a broad portfolio of work and some of it is not in hip hop, then, you know, people don't necessarily consider you for a list like this. So, you know, I mean, here's a guy who had experience with U2 and, you know, all these great rockers and, you know, he he ended up at Apple. So I think maybe he got dinged a little bit for that, but, you know, there's no doubting his impact from Interscope to Beats, you know, certainly there's no Dre on the commercial side without Jimmy. And, you know, I think... His ability to see, you know, there's this famous story. He and and Dre are walking down the beach in Malibu or wherever. And Dre's like, you know, I've got this new deal. Somebody wants me to make sneakers. And Jimmy's like, F sneakers, let's make speakers. You know, that was the birth of Beats, or at least that's how how it was told. But you could kind of see him saying that, right? He always had that vision for not just creating a new product but an entirely new category and that's what they did with beats and i think that alone you know i mean that's like i think the single biggest hip-hop business deal three billion dollars selling to apple i think that should probably get him a little higher you know maybe not top five but i think we both put him higher than 12.
1: yeah agreed yeah nothing else to add there i thought he would have been on the top 10 but yeah it's always interesting to see how these things play out number 11 jay prince Rap-A-Lot Records, another interesting one to see where he ended up on this list.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's sort of a sleeper pick. Like, hip-hop heads would know Jay Prince, but I don't know, you know, and certainly, like, most of the people we've mentioned are more well-known from a pop culture standpoint. But I guess if you look at our judges, it's it's very hip-hop industry-specific. So, um, you know, I think Jay Prince is, like, he's sort of, like, you know, you talk about the rapper's rapper. He's like the hip hop mogul's hip hop mogul. And I think, and again, it's reflected in the judges, like, you know, some people didn't have on his list, but he got a ton of top 10 votes, you know, across the board. So, you know, I, I think that that propelled him is like, if you know, you know, you know his significance to the
1: genre. And even the artist rising now, you always hear that there's some connection to Jay Prince, which gives you an idea of the tentacles that he has, right? When Drake is like, oh, I decided not to come back and push a T after what he said because Jay Prince said I shouldn't. And you're like, okay, Jay Prince really is in this. You hear about Meg Thee Stallion and just her coming up as a Houston rapper and mentioning Jay Prince the way that she does. He's stayed in it. And for someone that hasn't touched a mic, he definitely is one of the highest people on this list that hasn't touched a mic.
0: I think he is the second
1: highest, sort of. Well, we can, yeah, we can get into that. <laughs> yeah, so now we're into the top ten. Number ten, SNOP Snoop Dogg. I think this is a great place for Snoop.
0: I mean, you know, he certainly, you know, if you ask pe- people like Snoop Dogg artist or a businessman. People would probably say artist first, but he really does have a tremendous business sense. And, you know, in terms of like the raw total of endorsement deals done, startup investments made, you know, like he is out there with his brand. And, you know, I think more than just about anybody else on this list and, you know, not in stupid ways. Like he's very thoughtful about it. You know, and I think this whole like Martha Stewart you know bromance whatever you want to call it has been like hilarious and wonderful for his brand but you know you see him endorsing everything like sketchers and you know he's in, in in all these spots and i think what he's doing casa Verde, you know that's just his uh, vehicle to invest in cannabis is like very on point he understands his brand and you know he understands ownership but he also understands how to make money and he's doing a, a little bit of both so I, I think above all with snoop what is the most impressive is how he's transitioned from, you know, who he was at the beginning of his career to who he is now. I mean, this is a guy who was, you know, on trial for murder. Like, you know, like this is quite a ways to go from there to being palling around with Martha Stewart. You know, I think she ultimately was the one who did the time, but like, you know, you know, just to have like that kind of one eighty for your personal brand speaks to his brilliance in marketing. And I think, you know, like, he might be more emblematic than anybody in hip-hop of how hip-hop was able to transition from where it was in the 90s and the East Coast, West Coast thing to today and tying up with corporate America. And,
1: you know, it's a pretty remarkable feat. So, yeah, I think he definitely deserves his spot in the top 10. The band literally went from being the reason why Time Warner wanted nothing to do with its Interscope investment and being on the cover of uh, Newsweek In this like borderline mugshot photo of being like, oh, this is what's wrong with hip hop to now being the emblematic brand whisperer. And yeah, on the covers with someone who actually did serve jail time, Martha Stewart. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. Number nine. This one's interesting. So number nine is Nas. He made it to the top 10. And I'm glad that Nas is on this list. Of course, legendary MC. Very influential with everything he's done from an investing perspective and what he's been able to do as well with other types of partnerships, helping to revive the Mass Appeal brand as well. I don't know if I've necessarily seen as much of the king making or as much of the, oh, I was able to put X and Y other person on in that same type of way. But I do respect that a lot of people had him on here and they likely do you know see him as inspiration in that way. But yeah. What are your thoughts?
0: I think with Nas, it all comes down to the startup investing. And, you know, of anybody on this list, I think he is the most influential when it comes to hip hop in Silicon Valley. And the relationship that he had with Ben Horowitz or it has, you know, basically they, they connected over a shared love of barbecue and hip hop. Uh, I think Steve Stapp put them together. You know, it turned him from somebody who would never be considered for a list like this as recently as, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, probably even 10 years ago we wouldn't have had him on this list to being top 10. And, you know, Nas was always the guy who, he was the rapper's rapper, you know, he cared about the music, not the money. And, you know, but I think, you know, thanks to Anthony Sala, who he worked with, you know, continues to work with sort of a startup whisperer for him. He was able to accumulate stakes in some of the, you know, most influential startups out there. I mean, I think he was in early in Lyft, Coinbase, Mm -hmm. a whole whole bunch others. So, you know, Nas to me, like, You could probably argue at this point, Jay-Z may have a bigger portfolio. Jay-Z may have overtaken everybody as sort of like the primary Silicon Valley force amongst hip-hop's royalty. But, you know, Nas was the one who really kind of showed the way and the amount that he's done in a relatively short period of time, I think. You know, it's super impressive. And, you know, when you talk about who did something different
1: on this list, he did. That's something very different. So props to Nas for that. Agreed. Number eight here. This is another interesting one to talk about, is Kanye West. Kanye West famously rose up a lot of these net worth and highest earner lists because of the success he had in fashion, specifically with Adidas and his partnership with his brand, Yeezy. And arguably having the next most successful brand next to Jordan in terms of a single person being able to, whether it's an athlete or entertainer, being able to have a shoe and what looked like a shoe franchise that was going to live on. Unfortunately, we've clearly seen that implode. And the implosion, a bit unfortunately, I do think is maybe part of the reason why someone like Ye may not be even higher on this list is because being a mogul is something about like we've talked about before the ability to have the influence to be able to put the pieces in particular areas and for someone like yay to then go and make anti-semitic remarks condone hate speech promote hate speech and you see all that crumbling down one of course you mentioned that there's many people on this list that have done disgraceful things but of course we're hiding that at calling that out here but two you just see how much that impact and really destroyed so much of what has been able to build. That shows some weakness in the quote unquote mogul foundation aspect of things. And I know that he was able to create opportunities uh, for others, the good music, I think most famously, we look at Pusha T and everything Pusha T was able to do in his career after the My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy album and then becoming president of Good Music. I think he was able to do that. Some of the early cosigns with Travis Scott and others, I think, you know, worked to Yeezy's advantage as well. I think we've still yet to see that infamous Donda org chart with all of the various things that Yeezy wants to build come to life. If he is able to build that at some point, then would happily rank him higher on a list like this. But that's where I'm at with Ye on the mogul list.
0: Yeah. And I think like with, you know, a lot of other names on this list, it's sort of like, what was your ceiling? And you got a lot of points for that. But then you get points taken off for, you know, for sort of bad things you did or, or Maybe not bad things you you did from a personal level because a lot of people are still high up anyway, but at least from a business perspective, I mean, you know, yeah, he was at one point the wealthiest hip hop artist in history. I think also the wealthiest musician of any genre, maybe the wealthiest entertainer, depending on how you count that. But he also destroyed like overnight the largest fortune in hip hop history, at least to that point with what he was doing. And, you know, you can talk about mental illness and that's, you know, very real situation for him, unfortunately, but like at the end of the day, you know, there's no condoning the kind of stuff that he was saying and promoting and, you know, really having an effect. And you could see in some of the statistics out there, you know, hate crimes, especially against Jews have been up, you know, over the past year or so. And there's a lot of other factors going into that, but like you can't be contributing to that kind of a thing. So, yeah, I think, you know, if that hadn't happened, You know i think he would have made it into the top five for sure and it's worth noting that you know he got like probably like a half dozen top five votes anyway Uh, a lot of people left him off you know i don't know i was bouncing all over where i would put him but i think you have to kind of consider not just what he created but what he tore down and so yeah he should be on this list you know he created probably with maybe the exception of beats the most valuable brand to come out of hip-hop and but then he also tore it down. So, you know, that's what this list is about. You get to have these
1: debates. Agreed. Agreed. Number seven, someone i excited to talk about, 50 Cent. 50, I mean, where do you even start? I think there's a few things. One... Of course, you could talk about the rap career and how he was able to use shock value to his advantage with songs like How to Rob and how that continued to be a through line with his career, starting all the beef with the Murder murdering camp and everyone else there. But I think that same mentality worked to his advantage as a businessman, too. We have both talked and broken down the... Deal that he did with vitamin water and for hip-hop that was one of the first of its kind that we saw that was really dope to see he continued to do plenty of other business ventures be involved with things but i think what's kept him in the mix especially the past decade or so is what he's been able to do on the multimedia side he has been single-handedly in many ways carrying one of the legacy streaming platforms out there with stars I was listening to a podcast that talked about how power and all of the various power books and chapters are responsible for 25% of the demand on that platform. And that, of course, is that number came through Parod Analytics, so it doesn't exactly reflect on viewership. But when you look at how he was able to just continue that in an era where I think it's hard to create shows like that that last. We obviously saw shows like Empire come and go and others, but he's still at it and it's been impressive to see how he's continued to that and especially with the type of people that acted in power that's a bit of that mogul king making aspect where you're creating opportunities for other artists whether it's you know having Mary J Blige in there or having different folks like that so I do think as much as he still is the same 50 will still clown will still do jokes we saw it in courtside the NBA playoffs of the Sacramento playoff or the Sacramento Kings game because his alcohol company has a partnership with the Sacramento Kings and i believe he also has one with the Houston Rockets too. So, it's good to see that even 16 years after one of the most influential exits in hip hop, 50 still doing his thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. And i think it also goes back to ownership like so many of these cases, right? When he got that deal, you know, his first record deal, he he always says he went out and he took, you know, his first million dollars And went and, you know, registered all the trademarks for G Unit and all these different things that he was gonna do with it. And, you know, he built a brand that was bigger than just fifty cent, right? He built a lot of brands that are bigger than just fifty cent. And I think what he did with vitamin Water, I know we talked about it in the context of Chris Lighty, that set the blueprint, you know, not just for hip hop, but you know, for the entertainment business on the whole. I remember I was doing a cover story on Ashton Kutcher for Forbes, you know, five, ten years ago about his startup sort of investing career. And you know he's, he's Ashton Kutcher is probably like the most successful entertainer investing in startups in terms of like successes and breadth and depth and all that. And I asked him why he started, and he said, you know, I saw Fifty Cent's deal, you know, I saw the vitamin water thing come through, and I had just done like a Kodak film thing, and you know, for cash. And I was like, man, what am I doing? I got to get in on these startups. So. You know uh, 50 really inspired Ashton Kutcher to go do the startup thing, which then I think led to the whole entertainment industry getting involved in the startup thing and you know came back around to Nas and eventually Jay. So I think that you know what he did all the way back in whether well, it was like two, 2006 2007 that kind of set the mark for others to follow and it was you know new and interesting. And Nas did it differently, right? Nas. It was more about being an actual VC and 50 Cent saw one deal that he thought was pretty cool and he he was into the equity side of it. But, yeah, I think that's, you know, that is definitely a trailblazing maneuver. And even if he doesn't do anything else ever again, I think, you know, he's a rightful claim to the spot.
1: Agreed. Number six on the list is Master P. He's another one that has continued to live on from a legacy perspective in terms of the young record label executives, the young artists. Who are they modeling themselves after? Who do they want to do? And so many of them reference that late 90s No Limit Run, the ownership and how Master P. As many other record label executives were at the time, which we'll get into, but how he was able to navigate things and just the feeling of branding, marketing, and all of the different areas that he's been able to have his hand into in multimedia, in product sales. He gets his product at distribution in Walmart and other stores like that. So it's been Interesting, and I think good to see him in the mix with things. He's always one of those names that comes up with, oh, there's this big brand for sale, whether it's Reebok or this sports team or this multimedia thing. He's always been in the mix with those areas as well. So it's good to see him get representation on the list, too.
0: Yeah, and I think just in terms of taking, you know, what had been sort of a a regional label in making it national and sort of getting the, the kind of deal that he got, I think that's at the bar for a lot of deals to come and you know and that that counts for a ton. And you know, getting involved into all kinds of different things that you know you may not even know until you like really take a close look at it, diversifying your portfolio, you know, as
1: a businessman, I mean, I think he's as good an example of that as anybody. Agreed. Now we're in the top five. This is where things get interesting. This first one Got a big exhale before this one. Co-founder of Def Jam himself, Russell Simmons. Where do we start?
0: Well, you know, I think it's instructive to look through the different votes here. I mean, well, a lot of people left him out, but, you know, a lot of people even emailed caveats to me, like, look, I hate to put him on here, you know, but his impact is undeniable. And he got a bunch of first place votes actually, but I think enough people left him off entirely that, you know, it averaged out to him being, and it was, it's pretty clear that he's in in fifth on this list. It's not particularly close in either direction, but yeah, again, you talk about blueprints, right? Creating Def Jam, like sort of the iconic hip hop record label. And, you know, before all these artists that came along starting their own labels, you know, took a cue from Russell, all the artists that saw him create Fat Farm took a cue in creating clothing lines. And, you know, as time went on and he started getting into all these other different parts of the entertainment world, you know, I think that was something that other artists followed as well. But it's hard to name an artist whose career he's not touched, you know, of the legends that have been around for a couple of decades, you know, especially some of the names that we're going to get to in a minute. So, you know, obviously can't discount everything he's done on the negative side, you know, certainly we've all seen the headlines, but, you know, his impact on the business remains so significant that a lot of these people, the other voters put him on top. And, you know, it's hard to argue his,
1: his influence. You can't tell the story of hip hop without including him. You also can't mention him in good practice without acknowledging everything, the good and the bad. One other thing I'll say on the good side was leaning into reality TV shows and things like that early with whether it was, you know, having his family involved with different things on TV and things like that. I think we were able to see him continue to put himself on with there, right? It's like, of course, obviously, as anyone knows, you know, his brother's in Run DMC. You get to see the whole family. And then you obviously have even, uh, what's her name? Like Angela Simmons now, you know, is been able to build her own career as a businesswoman herself in large part thanks to the platform that Russell Simmons was able to build there. So yeah, um, I'm glad that he was on the list. But I'm also glad we we're able to have a full conversation about it. Number four, the top four, is, this is where we get into the famous Mount Rushmore. Everyone always asks the question. Number four is a combination, but it's for good reason. It's Birdman and Slim, the co-founders and leaders of Cash Money Records.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we didn't really specify whether or not you could put people together or not, but so many voters ranked them together and they're really inextricable. I mean, they are, of course, brothers and co-founders of Cash Money. So it only seemed appropriate to do that. We only did that in one other case, but, you know, but here it made sense. You know, Birdman and Slim, you know, Fire and Ice, I mean, Thunder and Lightning, you know, that that's kind of their MO in, in Cash Money. And, you know, you and I have talked about their dynamic a lot over the years, but, you know, I think similar to Master P in, in taking what had been a regional label in Cash Money and, you know, extracting this incredible distribution deal from Universal, getting this huge advance, you know, in the 90s, getting it was $30 million, you know, even in those days, you know, with inflation would have been, you know, probably at least double that at this point, plus the ability to own everything going forward. And, and then just their continued ability to stay, you know, you know, we talk about ownership throughout this list. I mean, those guys have, have managed to maintain control of their catalog, you know, through some, let's say there have been some, disputes as to whether or not they held on to too much of it without distributing it fairly to their artists. But, it's a very generous way to put it. You know, yeah, yeah, we could say. But I think just the endurance of cash money, you know, from the early days and Hot Boys and Lil Wayne, you know, coming through to like Drake, Nikki, Wayne. And, you know, even if they never put out another hit, they're going to have that catalog to sit back on throwing off like double digit millions every year. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I wonder... What would have happened if they had sold their label at the peak of the catalog boom a couple of years ago when interest rates were so low? I mean, I, I think they could have gotten, I mean, I don't know, like hundreds of millions of dollars for sure, maybe half a billion. I don't know. I mean, when you look at some of the numbers being thrown around, you know, I don't know about these days now that things have cooled off a little bit on that front, but there's no denying their influence on the music and the ownership of the music. And, you know, they certainly diversified, I think, didn't Birdman own like gas stations or oil rigs or something for a hot minute there. But, you know, I think it comes down to what's a mogul, you know, like a music mogul, a hip hop mogul, you know, for them to have launched and continue to own one of the most successful labels of all time, you know, and, and to have given so many other people on this list, a platform to start what they did, you know, and then they were pretty clearly ahead of Russell, which is interesting to me. And I think that's probably an effect of some people leaving Russell off, but there's no denying what Birdman and Slim did for the genre, and so there
1: they are. Although some artists might not be so happy and
0: you know, understandably.
1: Yeah, I think part of the reason why they may be ahead of Russell in that way is because there's that ownership piece that goes back to it, right? I think we talked about it when we talked about whether it was Def Jam or one of the other pods that we did where the fact that Def Jam isn't necessarily owned by its co-founders in the same way but Cash Money is, I think, made a big of a difference there. And I think with Birdman and Slim as well, even if, let's say, there wasn't a whole second chapter of the Cash Money story, like even if we didn't see the young money to then Drake and Nikki's side of it, it's like those, even if you separated, those would be two ownership stories in themselves that would have had placement in this list and maybe high up. You clearly saw Master P on this list where I think a lot of the... Uh, recognition for Master P was things that he did in that early phase that Cash Money was able to as well. And then you have this whole run from 2007 up until 2018, because that was the last Drake album that came out under Cash Money. So two hall of fame careers in themselves. It's almost similar to how Tom Brady, it's like, even if you look at everything that he did, you know, the first third of his career, then like the second third and like the third, like they're all hall of fame careers in their own right.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it's interesting too, when you look at sort of the totals of the votes, I mean, some of them, you know, there may be a couple of places in between artists, but there's only, you know, a few votes here that are separating them, but the voters like really made it clear. Like there's a obvious top 10. And even within that, you know, the top six are pretty clear. And then we're about to get into another really clear, the tippy top tier, the top three. So, you know, the voters made their
1: voices known in a unified sort of way. Agreed. So yeah, let's get into it. The top three was pretty clear. People are probably know the names. They're probably just wondering what order. So number three is Puff, Diddy.
0: Can't argue with that, although he might argue with it. I think, you know, between number two and three, it it was actually extremely close in the vote totals. And you know, Puff is an interesting case. Like he's on almost every list, but fascinating to me, nobody put him number one. Like a lot of people put him number two. Like four or five people put him number two. Nobody put him number one. But you know, we've talked about Puff so many times on this list and the, on the you know podcast, it shouldn't be surprised to listeners that he's up there. But you know, to run through the, the accomplishments, I mean, to start off, you know, as an intern at Uptown, get fired, and you know, start from scratch basically in your early 20s and to build Bad Boy and then Alpha Bad Boy, you know, Sean John and Ciroc and all the other side brands he's built. I mean, he's a billionaire. I think one of only two current billionaires on this list, although (laughs) there was a near billionaire and a previous billionaire, but the longevity, you know, just just like the sort of like single-handedly, not single-handedly, but really like in some cases, it seemed like he was pulling hip-hop up with him into the mainstream throughout the late 90s and in a time when, you know, the sort of after the bad boy death row feud, you know, we talked about Snoop Dogg and how he was able to get where he did. I mean, it's just as compelling, I think, a story, what Puffy did at being so intimately involved in that and so quickly becoming, you know, in the late 90s, arguably the biggest star in the world and then becoming this incredible, you know, executive, first executive, you know, not so much of an artist, but really a businessman first and foremost over the past, you know, couple decades, it just speaks to him. I like to say Puff is sort of like, he is Richard Branson. If Richard Branson just like happened to rap a little bit, you know, he's a businessman through and through who happens to have some, you know, artistic ability. And you could argue, you know, I would say more on the production side than on lyrical side, but like there's no denying his data as a mogul. If you look him up, you know,
1: yeah, he's got to be on the Rushmore, Mount Rushmore of any hip hop mogul list. He has a track record he has the businesses the whole thing from the beginning selling a lifestyle he learned that as an intern did it with music did it in fashion did it in spirits and he's continued to find ways and like anyone has had businesses that have succeeded businesses that haven't but that guy's never gonna give up and it's really cool to see people like him and others on this list Most of the people that made it this far on the list are at least 50 years old or higher, and I don't think that's a coincidence. There's something to be said for the longevity, but I also expect these people, if they're still alive, to still be making moves in their 70s, the same way that you see, granted hip-hop itself is only 50 years old, so you just don't see as much of the longevity there yet. But the same way that we still see Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett in their 90s still being active players, if these hip-hop moguls live as long as they do, hopefully we'll be able to see that too. And I think he's one of them that whatever the circumstances are, will always have some hand in the mix. And that's something that's always admirable about Puff. Number two, Dr. Dre. I mean, where do you start? You could start with the co-founding of Death Row. He clearly learned a lot of the good things that came from Death Row because he was able to then start Aftermath and then create the platform to find M to then find 50 Cent, two of the most commercially successful artists that we've ever seen in hip hop. And then all that's before Beats by Dre, as we've discussed on Separate Conversations and even in this one, the most successful hip hop or the largest hip hop business deal that we've seen and everything that he's just continued to do throughout I feel it was so special. This is a mogul related, but it was so special just to see the Super Bowl performance that it sounds like he had a big hand in just making sure everything was able to work the way that it did. And he got help in many ways with someone that we're going to get into at the top of the list. But it was really cool to just see everything. And in many ways, it felt like a culmination of everything Dre has built in his career.
0: Yeah, and I think with Dre, it's always quality, not quantity right whether it's bringing up artists you know that he's not going to co-sign too many of them but when he does it's going to be Kendrick or 50 or Eminem you know he's not going to create too many products but when he does it's going to be beats right and you know he's not going to perform that much but when he does it'll be like the halftime show it'll be the the Tupac hologram situation you know he is like the mad scientist sort of ethos going on that he sometimes alludes to, you know, he just goes and works and works and works and works and works and and, and gets it perfect and then puts it out in the world. And it might take decades. I mean, how many albums, three studio albums, really like three solo albums in his entire career. So like that's Dre. And I think it's interesting, you know, Diddy is more trial and error. I think he's out there, like he's willing to let the world see him fail, you know, and see him succeed. And I think Diddy certainly has more successes than Dre, but he has more failures at least publicly. And, you know, just the idea, I mean, I guess it kind of comes down to beats versus Ciroc. I mean, beats being, I think more influential at the end of the day in, in creating a a category, you know, than just a product. I think Ciroc, it wasn't a category. He did something different with spirits. He kind of like turned vodka into champagne. It's not even really vodka, which is a whole other story, but whatever it is, he turned it into champagne and like, this could be the art of celebration and all of that. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Diddy does now, you know, it, given the, the state of affairs with Serac. But anyway, I mean, back to Dre, you know, again, just like the breadth, the longevity from where he was to where he is. You know, and I think also looking at Nas, right? Nas did most of what he did in the past 10 years. Dre, you know, from the beginning of Beats about 15 years ago to where he is today. If you take that out, like yeah, like you said, he's probably still on here, but probably down around Swiss Beats or Pharrell or something like that. Just to be able to have vaulted from there to number two in 15 years and, you know, the impact that Beats has even to this day, I think. Yeah, you know, so it's very close. Diddy and Dre, I mean, I don't know. How did you rank? I think I had Diddy at number two and Dre at three. But that's, you know, I don't know. I was really agonizing over that one.
1: Yeah, I did Diddy at two. I had Dre at six. So, yeah, it was pretty close there. But, yeah, agree with everything you said. And with that, we got to get into the number one. The businessman, not the businessman. And you wrote a book about him. Actually, two if you count three kings. Number one, no surprise, Jay-Z.
0: Yeah, that's right. Jay-Z was the clear winner here. You know, no surprises. He got the most first place votes out of anybody. He got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You know, like almost half of the people here put him number one. And then there's like a ton of two and three votes. So, you know, yeah, I mean, you could certainly argue that Puff and Dre, you know, their biggest successes were bigger than Jay-Z's biggest success. So Rock and, and Beats would probably be bigger than any single deal that Jay-Z put together. But just like the amount of different deals, you know, fr- from the early days and Rockefeller Records and RockAware to, you know, to transitioning into being this sort of like mass market power player, the Light Nation deal, you know, launching Doucet and Armand de Brignac and all of that, you know, to have ownership and to get paid and to continue to be, you know, musically relevant at the same time throughout it all. I mean, yeah, I think it's pretty clear why jay Z's is number one.
1: And, you know, I don't think anybody would really argue with that, except for maybe Diddy. <laughs> Yeah, he does the most. I think that you've seen him you've seen him succeed with ownership. You've seen him succeed with partnerships at the highest levels. We've seen him navigate difficult business relationships. We've seen him make mistakes as well with things that he maybe oversought but was able to still think through and come out somewhat ahead, speaking specifically about title and some of the things there. Even in the failures, you could still see the through line about why he thought this was the best way to go about things i think that not a surprise and i think he definitely deserves to be at the the top of the list for sure 100 percent.
0: and you know as far as looking at everybody's career and who you can kind of learn the most from everybody on here you can learn something from and you can learn from their successes but i think it's also worth looking at what didn't work and how did they respond you know and jay-z likes to say a loss and a loss it's a lesson and you know, he's out there taking chances and it doesn't always work. And I think earlier in his career, he only wanted to show you the parts that did work. And now he's kind of willing to, you know, show you the, the whole package. But, you know, it, it certainly helps when you're married to the biggest star in, in the world, arguably. But I, look, I think both of them have been very smart about that relationship and, and how they leverage it to get into things like they have this big Tiffany's campaign. You know, certainly their real estate portfolio has improved together with, you know, the addition of this. Like, I think they just got a $200 million house in Malibu and and stuff like that. So I think with Jay, the way he handles every relationship, every release, it all builds toward the next thing. And yeah, he's a chess player. He's thinking 10 steps ahead. And, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, like, what is his next big step? I know he's gotten a lot of big paychecks recently, selling half of Armand de Brignac and doing a joint venture there. With LVMH, he's got a huge check. I think around 700 million for his stake in Dusek Cognac. So, I'm particularly interested in you know what it is that he's kind of building up his war chest to get next. And I've heard rumors that it might be in soccer or in American football. So we'll see. I mean, it could be any one of those things. But you know, don't be surprised when we check in 50 years if he's like you know Jeff Bezos the territory. <laughs> Maybe sooner.
1: And again the fact that he's been able to help the people around him and make them successful too he had that line in that song boss with beyonce on that album they put out together where he's like here we say you're broke if everybody or here you're not successful we say everybody's broke except for you i know i butchered the line i forget exactly what it is but it's something like that it's very similar to the pound cake line that he had had as well so at the end of the day that speaks to his ability to do that so yeah This was really fun, and it was really interesting to go through the list. And now that we're done with at least that part of the list, now were there any snubs on your end? I know we talked about a lot of the placement of particular people, but was there anyone that wasn't on the list that we didn't talk about at all today that you were like, man, like, wish that person had gotten in.
0: Yeah, I thought it was kind of surprising that DJ Khaled wasn't on here. I voted for him. I ranked him fairly highly, you know. I don't see why he would be off, but somebody like T.I. or even Rick Ross would be on, you know, having his hand in a lot of different things. I think also on a social media perspective, he's been really front of the pack. So, yeah, I I would put Khaled up there. I think RZA belongs up here, too. Some of the things he's done, you know, just like being the mastermind of the Wu-Tang Clan period is, you know, kind of a mogul move to kind of like come up with that idea and, you know, unite all these guys from Staten Island under the banner of Kung Fu and hip hop. It's like, what? They talk about something new and different, you know? And his hand in, in, you know, the secret album, Once Upon a Time in Shaolin and, and, you know, all the things that that led to, and, you know, hip hop as art and collectibles and just kind of like debates in the industry. So I think Grizzly deserves a a look, but those would be the two that kind of stick out to me as, you know, I think probably deserve a spot on here. and, And, but not quite enough people shared my my views here.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good one. I think to s- discuss someone that hasn't necessarily came in, I'll talk about two people there, more recent people in the game, but I do think that a lot of people have been inspired by what they've done. One is Gazi and what he's been able to do at Empire, specifically from a record label perspective. Uh, you know, we started that at a point where a lot of people didn't even think it was viable to have a business where you were more than a, just typical distributor, but you were still offering artists to at least maintain whether it's their masters or have just flexible record contracts where it's like, okay, let's partner on this project. Let's partner on this. And we see how fragmented music is now. And I think they were clearly ahead in some ways with that. And I think that worked to their advantage too. And similarly, J. Cole was someone who got on this list, but I think I'd actually give a shout out to his business partner and CEO of Dreamville, Eib Hamad, and what they've been able to do they're really trying to bring a platform? And I think in many ways, one of the things that Dreamville is and other labels have navigated, how do you work to build a platform beyond the breakout star that you have? So that that was another name that that came to mind.
0: For sure. Now that those all make sense to me as well.
1: Yeah. And then on this note, I think it was interesting because... Now that we're reflecting on the list, there's a few trends that I wanted to call out to get your thought on. One was the placement of producers. And this is a two-part question because, one, I do think that producers, especially the super producers in hip-hop, did quite well if we're looking at this list. Just to kind of name through the names, Dr. Dre, number two. Kanye West, number eight. Where's Swiss Beats here? We have Pharrell, of course, at 22, and we have uh, Swiss Beats at 27. And I'm probably forgetting a couple of people there. Uh, Do you think there's something specific about producers as a job that makes them either more likely or that has or any commonality with those folks and why that may line up with their placement on a list like this?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the people who are producers are, you know, some of the time are there because, you know, they they didn't quite take off as lyricists the same way. Although some people disagree with this, look at Dre. Okay, fine. But like Dre was always a better producer than he was a lyricist. Puff was always a better producer than he was a lyricist. Swizz was always a better producer than he was a lyricist. I mean, you know, you could hot take, but like you could argue that with Kanye too. I mean, that's less of a slight to Kanye's lyricism and more of like just a praise for his production. But I think that you know, when, let's say, being a lyricist isn't your calling card, whether it's production or something else, you have to make yourself valuable in other ways. And I think that, you know, especially as a producer, you're often involved you know, more in the business side and you know what are the splits going to look like, who's got the publishing, all that. You kind of necessarily end up more in mogul territory, whereas it's easier maybe to just be a recording artist and to take checks from your, your label. It's sort of like, you know, kind
1: of comes to the territory more when you're involved in the production side of things. I think that last piece is key because you are more cognizant of the splits. You are a bit of the maestro of making sure everything works out the same way that it does to be able to do that there, which maybe speaks to some of the reason why you know you mentioned Khaled as someone that probably would have expected to see a little bit higher, although his work as a producer is a little bit different than some of the folks that we mentioned here. But- People that are on the younger side that I do think have a lot in common with the folks you mentioned here, it'll be interesting to see where will someone like Zaytoven, Metro Boomin, Mike it. some of the super producers or close to it of the streaming era that we've seen, will we see them be able to make those moves in the future? Of the people that I mentioned, I think Metro Boomin is probably the closest there. Of course he recently sold his catalog. I think that he's someone that seems to move a little bit different. He's releasing his own albums that do have his own beat production there in a way where Mike Will and Zaytoven strike me a little bit more as being purely interested in the musical aspect of things.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and I think if we're talking about, you know, younger individuals who, you know, you might see on this list in 10 years, or maybe even you could have seen them now. But I think, you know, Travis Scott and Tyler, the creator are two names that I would point to, you know, Travis Scott, I think probably got dinged for, you know, what happened, you know, at, at his festival. And, you know, that's like kind of a, a big, you know, impediment for people to throw on list. But, you know, those kinds of concerns didn't stop them from listing other folks who had some pretty serious, you know, kind of like moral asterisks around around their names. So. I think what Travis has done with Cactus Jack, you know, he was really on the sort of on the Kanye path from a commercial perspective. And, you know, let's see how it goes with his new utopia rollout. But yeah, I think people have kind of a short memory and are willing to move on. And, you know, he could be back in the conversation again soon. And I think Tyler, the creator too. I mean, I think he's another one, you know, whether it's music festivals or clothing, you know, he's definitely got a hand in a bunch of really interesting different businesses. And, you know, maybe part of it, maybe he, he ends up more like in the Pharrell kind of position where it's not necessarily quite as mainstream, but it's widely respected and you know
1: lucrative and popular. So I could see the two of them moving up here in years to come. And Tyler too is unique because he spoke to an audience of Fans and people that weren't being spoken to in that same type of way, right? Everyone else is trying to speak to the aspirational, cool person. Tyler said himself, he was reaching the outcasts. He was reaching the people that would go on late night runs to Taco Bell and stuff like that. And that was an audience that hip hop, mainstream hip hop was reaching. So I think that speaks a lot to his success there. So, final question here, which I think is a good one. And you posed it right before we started recording. This mogul list is very representative in a lot of ways of who the greatest artist are that happened to be successful in business. And the question was up to interpretation in many ways. But if you were picking a team or a few people, whether it's people we've mentioned or people we haven't mentioned to run your mogul empire, who would make your list? Let's say if there's three to four names that come to mind of who would make your list, who would it be?
0: Yeah. I think the boring answer is Jay-Z and that's probably, you know, most people's answer because that's why, you know, he got so many first place votes. But you know, looking through the top twenty, I mean, there are a lot of people who I would not want running my mogul Empire. But you know, if I had to pick three, let's say out of the top twenty, or maybe even the whole list, I think I'd probably go like Jay, Leor, and Sylvia Robinson, because they all just get shit done one way or the other. They're all individually brilliant, creative, Machiavellian. You know, like they all kind of like pushed the line on a lot of things, but they didn't cross it fully, in my opinion, at least compared to some of the other people on the list, you know, at least in a like something is illegal kind of way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or yeah, I guess anywhere you look, there's always these debates. But I think that all three exhibit a certain level of, you know, in different degrees. Like you need something done, they're going to get it done. You're not worried that. They're going to let their ego get in the way. You know, they could be the star or it could be the Jordan or the Pippin, and they have the talent to get it done, you know, no matter what it is that you need done. So I'd probably go with those three as my top. What about you?
1: I feel like we have a similar minded list. So I would have Sylvia Robinson as the board chair. I want someone that can control those stakeholders, make sure that we're good and also just keep a good eye and keep the company in check as well. I would want Jay to be president of the company because I think as president, it's good to have someone that be a bit of the public salesperson, can get the right amount of support for buy-in, can be included in particular sales pitches. For an actual CEO, I'll take Lior. Again, I think the shrewdness, the no fucks given in a lot of ways, but still having a calling card to be able to get people aligned with is important. And I'll take Steve Stout as my CMO and I'll have Jay Prince as a special advisor to help address any of the Issues or anything like that. That's the dream team. (laughs) I like that. I like that one. Yeah. All right. Well, Zach, anything else that we should mention before we close things out on the hip hop's 50 greatest mogul list? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's
0: interesting to reflect in the context of hip hop's 50th anniversary and, You know when you look at sort of some of the pioneers who started it all you know really there aren't any other than sylvia who were there at the very beginning and even then you could argue you know she came kind of five years late so you know i I hope that over the you know over the rest of the year some of these folks do start to get their flowers in in the mainstream in a way that they haven't before, you know, whether it's Herc or Flash or, you know, some of the other people, Kaz who are sort of around, Grand Wizard Theodore, you know, people like that who haven't gotten maybe quite their due. So, you know, I I I would look for that through the rest of the year and that's kind of a hope of mine. And, you know, I mean, yeah, none of them really got to be, let's say they didn't get to partake in the spoils in the way that some of the people who came in later did. So that, that would be my one final thought as we head into this rest of the summer of celebration of the 50th anniversary
1: yeah i'm excited i think it was great to be able to use as an opportunity to reflect to be able to highlight and think more broadly about it there's been so many different types of 50 this 50 that list, and i'm sure we'll see more of them as well i think that this one is a bit unique because of all the factors that we brought into it and how varied the list was and how We brought more people into this process as opposed to just having, of course, there's a form of this that was just you and I talking it out and making sure that where we thought things made sense, but it was really good to be able to include some of the pioneers and some of the leaders themselves in this. So with that salute to hip hop and everything that is created and obviously you and I being able to have work in this uh, industry as well. So shout out, you know, it's a privilege and honor to be able to contribute and offer something like this.
0: Yeah. Privilege and honor indeed. So yeah, it's a lot of fun and good to, good, you know, good to be able to look back a little bit. Agreed. Thanks,
1: man. Appreciate it.
0: All right, Dan. Have a good one.
1: You too. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Trappital continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating, and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.